Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsbirth.ie. And together we are Raw Pet Medics. <laughs> On time. Are we on time? Wow. Are we? He is. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't. Ready. We are on time. Hmm. How are you doing, gentlemen? I. Uh, I. We are Raw Pet Medics. You'll find us on uh, Patreon.com forward slash Raw Pet Medics. People have been very good of late coming on there and helping us out, and so we do notice it and we do appreciate it. And I've got an extra special it. gift for you guys tonight on Patreon. I'm going to give you a free code to watch a course seminar on this very topic that we're talking about tonight, which is the whole first section of my book. And uh, so I'm going to give you free access to that. So that's thanks for everybody on Patreon. Uh, very much appreciated. Mm-hmm. But we still give all this verbal content to you guys on Facebook. But we also have our podcast as well. So if you're listening to us on podcast, guys, please take a moment to uh, give, us a, give us a rating and a thumbs up. It really helps uh, our side. I Just before we start, I wanted to mention, guys, I put up two or three posts during the week last week which were uh, hot potatoes and the first one was a veterinary nurse that said I think I only got three hours training nutrition and it was pretty much don't feed raw and here's what to do you know the usual kind of stuff so that was a famous enough canine nutritionist Gabrielle Joy in Australia does all the dingoes probably listening actually hello Gabrielle and then the following day I got an an article from a vet who wrote what's happened in my profession and she's a bit disillusioned and I popped that up as well and then on the third one, I said, I put up a lengthy article to say, guys, we need to change our lingo. Uh, because some people were saying, you know, this, this about vets and that. And I was saying, look, guys, you need to talk about the veterinary industry and focus on the veterinary industry. Uh, and everybody went for it. And I think that was a good little uh, thing to talk about. And just remind anybody else that hadn't seen the piece that any time you, certainly if you hear me and those two guys have way more class, so you're not going to hear them. Uh, talking about but i would dump on the veterinary industry now and again i would be i'm a pet owner you know i'm not a vet and so they get the spiky end of my spear now and again but i i assure you i am talking about the veterinary industry and never about vets Um, i believe that they work incredibly hard to get to college very difficult degree to do very difficult job to hold down later on in life Um, but the fourth uh, article i was talking about did you see the gag orders that the corporates are putting in place over in the u.s on anybody working for them now lifetime gags on anybody that signs up to work in their place never speak ill of the place isn't that crazy so you don't get the the john robs and the all the other vets that come up and don't like what they see about various bits and bobs so um yeah that was a heavy week of posting and uh 95 percent positive <laughs> just just so you're aware i think that it's always been a case of uh, many practices will have in their system a way of but you should never speak ill of those that you've worked with. Um, however, that is overruled by whistleblowing. So if there's something that endangers pets and actually endangers people working within that environment, it doesn't matter what the gagging order is. Ultimately, if you're whistleblowing for oh, policy that puts a threat on life to patients and indeed clinicians, 
then actually you've got a right to go and do that, okay? That's cool. That's good to hear. Um, let's get this started off here. Um, so carnivore or omnivore, and I think uh, let's help people with those definitions. And I think everybody knows what a carnivore is at this stage, and it's an animal. Well, I, I'm not sure I do. Um, well, I can give you... Uh, there seems to be two types of carnivore, which is a bit tricky. Um, but I think yeah. one, one drives... It's it's uh it's nutritional needs from meat all the time. That's all it needs. All it needs is meat. And that would be a very simple, easy to go definition. Don't need to think much more about it. And an omnivore, eat meat and plants. That would be the dream that that was the case. And then you'd have a herbivore at the end who eats just plants. So the omnivore could be eating 20% plants or 80% plants. So there's quite a range of omnivores there in the middle. The problem is that there is different types of carnivores and omnivores. So you'll learn that. Cats are obligate carnivores, and we're all sure about that. They're obligate carnivores. The definition of an obligate carnivore is they depend only on meat for survival. Their bodies cannot digest plants properly, which I just took from uh, this biology book here. And yet Mars and Nestle feed them largely plant material. They eat more plant material than meat. So what are we talking about here? Are we talking about that they can thrive on meat uh, and meat only, or how come we're feeding them largely plant material? So I think these definitions leave a lot to be desired. We've got faculative carnivore for a dog. And faculative carnivore are those animals that eat uh, animal food as, in addition to non-animal foods, which sounds very strangely like an omnivore. So the grain of the terms is a big, big problem. And people tend to throw out the term as if that helps us know what it is to feed the animal in front of us. If an alien was handed a dog and said, here, feed that, they'd go, what does it eat? And we'd say, it's an omnivore. And they go, so it eats any meat, any plant, in any variety, in any amounts. You know, but that's not the case. You know, omnivores go up in certain niches to eat certain amounts of plants. Red foxes eat lots of animal matter and a little bit of plant material. The bears eat lots of plant material and a little bit of animal matter. And so you can feed one like the other. So I think a really classic thing was um, somebody who just cut through all the garbage of uh, the chat, um, who was a Tara Campbell said, Look, what are we talking about? Survive or thrive? And so I think that's going to, I've just covered everything there in one go, but people throwing out the word omnivore, therefore I feed them 50% biscuits. You know, it's like, oh, okay, hang on there. So, well, it is plant food. You know, it's, we need more than that. And I think the terms are very, very misleading and people are losing friends over because they're just arguing, barking like dogs through a fence. So, uh, well, one of the problems I have with carnivores, it implies meat. But in fact, Dogs, given half a chance, will eat anything. But just sticking with the animal-based things, a mouse, a rat, a, a, a rabbit is not just meat. There's bone, there's cartilage, there's organ meat, there are blood vessels, there's brain material, iron fat, EPA, DHA, all these amazing things. So to say carnivore, that's not strictly true. To say omnivore, they mean that, that that every omnivore eats everything is not strictly true. And if you think of the average horse or the average cow chomping through loads of grass, they're actually going to be eating insects as they chomp through this grassy material. Well, they definitely don't eat herbs because they eat loads of grass, in fact. So, so it, it's just, I just think that this terminology is insufficient to allow us to, 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 to paint a picture of the I whole I would love to bring in there that actually with. the other thing that so many people that talk about herbivores and look how healthy they are, 
you know, they sort of compare why they should be able to survive as well. They realize, no, they're actually bacteriophores. They actually are surviving yeah. on mm, all yeah, of yeah, the nutrients nice. that the bacteria produce for them in fermentation. They are yeah, not, like you know, the plant material that goes in is not really the mainstay of what feeds them. It is actually what feeds the bacteria and the bacteria then releasing the nutrients. All of those vitamins we've already talked about coming from bacteria. All of those essential fatty acids and volatile fatty acids that build up the building blocks for them come from the bacteria. A load of proteins and, and essential amino acids come from the bacteria. That is not yeah. coming in yeah. in the plant material. Okay. In a way, in a way, no animal digests plant matter. And no animal digests cellulose, that's for sure. Only bacteria can do that. So that's an interesting. Mm -hmm. And even herbivores are highly specialized. I mean, if you think you can just, oh, he's a herbivore, feed him grass. Well, you've got deer are herbivores, and there's whatever, 20 different species of them or whatever. But they all eat different things. You've got the females that eat small, richer bits of the plants and shoots and berries and nuts, and they, they will browse. Whereas the males are much bigger, big flat faces, wide lips, and they crop. They'll eat wide, lots of grass and they have much bigger bellies and chest cavities to eat poor quality forage, but they have to eat a lot more of it. You can't feed one like the other for long. So if you feed a higher quality forage to the male, he'll hold onto it too long. He risks getting bloat. So you can't just feed even cows like goats. You know what I mean? They eat different parts from the field. They will select different parts from the whole niche that they evolved in. So if you think herbivores are specialized, can you only imagine how specialized? An anteater. I mean, you can't give an anteater a steak. It just won't fit down his... Is it his nose? What is that? Is it his mouth? Oh, what's what's long mouth? on an anteater? Really? He doesn't, he doesn't have a little tongue that comes down his nose. And then sucks him up his nose. No, it doesn't do that. Yeah. yeah. No, I wasn't thinking that was a bad mistake. We'll have to edit that out, please, Pete. Carry I know you've been really yeah, poorly for the last week or so, yeah. so I, I forgive you a few inaccuracies. Still, Still coughing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so... So yeah, and, and I think the other one is that people talk about the evolution of people talk about wolves and look what the wolves ate. And we say, well, this animal's been its own thing for 40,000 years. So, you know, just looking at what wolves eat isn't the most useful thing to us, really. So I like looking at dingoes. I mean, they're as close to domestic dogs as you could possibly hope. They interbreed, which is a, one of the surest signs that they're not too far away from each other. You won't get a wolf and a dog interbreeding too easily. Um, so it just doesn't happen as much. But uh, these dingoes are pure carnivores. I mean, pure carnivores. Now, there's a big dispute over how dog they are and that kind of thing because that's going on in Australia and I poorly understand it. But uh, so, you know, they do come from a long line of meat eaters. But I think what changed for the dog, we, the, the, the big consideration is that we didn't take, the, the dog's diet was irrelevant to us for the first three quarters of his existence with us. We, this animal, we started hanging out together because this animal was a great hunter. And he helped us hunt. And he alerted us when people came near our camp. And he protected us. And so these animals came closer to us because they were useful. They'll pick off our scrappings. And we were largely meat eaters, you know, roaming scavengers ourselves. We weren't growing crops for the large part. It was only 6,000 years ago we decided to start doing that. So we had this kind of friendship built up. And we would have tolerated the friendlier wolves, the wolf-type proto-dogs. And we would have not been friendly with the aggressive ones. So you automatically end up choosing a, a sweeter and softer animal that starts to live close to us and then starts to work right beside us in hunting. And it was only 6,000 years ago where the dog goes, what are you doing out in the field there? And it's like, I'm planting these seeds. I'm growing wheat. Check this out. Don't have to move. Just have to eat carbs all day. And all the problems that come with that. So you become a slave to the land 
and suddenly the dogs are hanging out going, okay, well, you know, we'll still go hunting because that's what humans do, and we did. Uh, but they started getting a few little scraps here and there. So there's Gabrielle Joy that someone mentioned dingoes. Thank God I didn't talk anymore about them. Got to get you on, Gabrielle, to talk about dingoes, and we will. Um, mm, so, yeah. yeah, I think, Nick, you like this bit here, so I'm just going to throw the spanner to you. So we know that the humans have been feeding small amounts of carbohydrates. They eat the leftovers of whatever society they're living with. And this is a big problem with diet studies because you can pull a diet study from India, the dog's largely vegetarian, and you can pull a diet study from a, a group of feral dogs that never see humans, and they're very, very carnivorous. So the problem is that they looked recently at the genes of the dog, didn't they, Nick? And they might have found some little uh, changes. Would you accept that, Nick? What do you, yeah, what do you accept? I would, you I would. Okay, so... Um, uh, I, I didn't know you were going to be talking about this is the axelson study which was in nature it was a short communication i think but it's in nature which used to be considered one of the best in the world um won't go there and and uh so he compared about i don't know 30 wolves the genes of 30 or so wolves the figures might not be quite correct with 30 or so domestic dogs and he said what what are the similarities what are the differences he found that there were about 30 genetic differences of which maybe only two or three it looked like about seven or eight but when you look at the detail i think it was only two or three which actually coded for for example eating carbohydrates okay and the big conclusion there and the you know the the, the, the hills and the raw cannons of this world were all over this saying there you have it there you have it dogs uh require carnivores but it's a, it's, it's a point i think that you've brought up before connor where you say um just because you can digest something doesn't mean that it's good for you. You know, your your your, your quote is is something like, like "Let's have cookies for breakfast," or yeah. "Let's eat Mars bars and cookies." Dog, you know, you can digest it. Does it do you any good? Yeah. Or let's have vodka for breakfast yeah. because you can digest yeah. it. You know. So, mm. but the thing is, you 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 will also the other thing to put into that, and I think we should do a whole show. On the Axelson paper, you do, you said that, yeah. but the, uh, the the thing is, you will evolve to metabolize toxins and th those things which aren't doing you a lot of good, as well as those things which will do you a lot of good, like great proteins and great fats and what have you. So, I'm not sure that Axelson is actually saying that. Our dogs are carnivores. Also, dogs, how many genes have the dog got? A human's got 22,000 or so. How many genes in the dog, guys? I can't remember. Yeah, and, and actually, how many tens of are similar across all mammals? In fact, actually, all living life. You know, this is the ridiculous yeah. thing. It's then epigenetics, and it's about what your bacteria are doing and what all of the other environmental influences on your genes are about. Yeah. To, to how you end up forming. I think there were so many. Um, elements to to that paper on just because your genes have it you know doesn't make you be able to deal with that you know if you were left yeah 
with no way of surviving, you know, other than just eating what you could come across in the wild, okay, so no human influence, there is no way on God's earth that dogs could survive on a high corn diet, you know? Can't, you know, they just pick they just wouldn't be able to grind it. They it's just wouldn't hard. be able to get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine them jumping for the corner yeah. of cops? They'd all be it. dead from getting it stuck in their gut. Yeah. Anyway, but that's, <laughs> but yeah. from a point of view of, yeah. um, I think it's it's all very well finding the genome that has it in or the genetic material, but it's a totally other thing to be able to grind that up. Well, they don't have. You know, we've talked about the anatomy at length in the past. So I'm not going to go there again. You know, they just don't have it. They don't have that or the physiology in the gut to be able to, or the fermenting areas in the gut to be able to digest that. But there was a really interesting mm. point Safe. earlier on, uh, which was with regards to, okay, so let's deal with, well, firstly, the descendancy. You know, actually, when we're talking about wolves, we're talking about cousins. We're not talking about their ancestors. Okay, I think, you know, it's a really important thing to, to sort of bring up because there has, you know, often we get that thrown at us that dogs are not descended from wolves because, you know, they've evolved alongside each other over millennia and actually the predecessor to the wolf was the ancestor of the dog. Grey, grey yeah. wolf type yeah. ancestor. Yeah. That would be the link. Grey wolf. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then we're moving on. So there's this whole thing about, okay, so some dogs and wolves will be found to eat berries and you know, blackberries on the, you know, bush naturally themselves you know philosophically or or no reason why that might be the case to these guys and you know look at you know what do you think they're getting there because they're not surviving on that plant material so what are they gaining and that's a question to you guys maybe they just like them maybe they just like the sugar you know yeah um it's interesting penny wood says here um uh, certain genes, I think, I'm not sure quite what you're talking about uh, there, Penny, uh, very highly conserved across the animal kingdom. Very few genes are unique. I tell you, here's a show. We get Penny Wood, uh, whose name is not, actually, but we'll call her Penny Wood. We'll get her on and we'll, t we'll discuss Axelson because she can, she can bring the, the, the genetics of zoo animals into the equation. And we can we can just let's just yeah. go through that paper. I've done it once, yeah. and there are flaws left, right, and centre. I think. Blessing. I think. I, and yeah, I have posted that paper on Facebook just I, now for people that want to have a look at it. Yeah. you know they can go into that. Cool, great. I, I think I'm going to be interested to hear the flaws that, that you notice in it because I think the problem with the paper is the where, what everybody did with the findings. And like you said, Hills and, mm -hmm. and Royal Cannon say, "Ha! This is why we've been feeding." 60% carbohydrates to them since the 1940s. And it's like, oh, you knew, yeah. you knew, did you? In 74 years, this paper was coming out. Darwin would have killed to see this tiny, little, tiny evolutionary steps that the animal is taking towards carbohydrate digestion. But it's not the only one. They also produce, produce a, a paddock buccanase. They do a couple of little uh, conversions that uh, true carnivores can't. Um, that, um, what is the vitamin A to something, something, and a couple of other bits and pieces. Uh, they're twice as good at assimilating glucose as cats dogs are now uh, and so i think in my my opinion i think i'm not quite as kind of surprised that these tiny little steps have been taken but also this gene regression if you stop feeding carbohydrates to dogs those genes can regress and disappear as well all thanks to epigenetics so 
there, there's all this going on at the moment, a lot of nonsense about these genes. And I would say, is that what you're going to focus on? This one little tiny bit. It was Doug Newvin's, uh, Knuven's, uh, uh quote to Gene Dawes, not mine, where he said, I can digest sucrose and ethanol. It doesn't mean 50% of my diet can be cookies and, uh, and wine. So as much as you want it to be, it's not healthy. So, you know, to say that this is why dogs need carbohydrates is no, it's, it's quite the opposite. The rest of the body is completely carnivorous. And like from, from um, the biology, which we have done to death, so we don't really need to do too much. But some people did mention the molars and there's people out there saying they've got grinding molars. And it's like, are you mad? The main thing, all you need to know is the back teeth come down beside those teeth. There's no side-to-side movement. You can't. They're not locked on top of each other for grinding. The back teeth come down. It's a carnasal tooth. So forget grinding. This is not possible. Your jaw only goes up and down. That's a carnivorous mouth, you know. Uh, it's not to say you can't pick fruit and enjoy a little bit of fruit, as Nick was saying. I mean, who doesn't like a bit of sugar and antioxidants? And um, I think some wolves will do it now and again. Okay, but that's not the mainstay of their diet. On a grand scheme of things, that's a blip. In, in the summertime, when there's plenty of meat around, uh, it's a blip. And so I wouldn't be kind of looking at a cat eating a bit of grass and going, ah, he's not a true carnivore. It's like, that's medicinal. You know, so there's many reasons why, why animals can take bits of plants. There's reasons why cows take the legs of baby birds and red deer take all sorts of bones when they need. Yes. If they're growing these antlers, hippos will do all sorts of weird stuff. And it's like pandas will eat a tiny few insects if they're really short on protein. So like, that's because they're a carnivore at the end of the day, doing carnivora, uh, except a complete plant eaters. It's just a big mess, and people get very kind of head up with it. I come back to the, the previous girl's point, Tara Campbell saying, survive or thrive. The studies that we have of thriving dogs are dogs on raw dog food, which we would all agree would be lots of meat and bone and organ, tiny bit of veg. They're the studies we have. They're the studies we have of dogs thriving. We don't have dogs thriving on vegan diets or plant-based foods. We have them compared, these dogs compared to dogs eating cereal-based pet food, which is largely vegan food anyway, and they pretend that that's a good analysis for a year. So all we have is evidence of dogs eating an appropriate diet and doing really well, but we don't have anything in the middle. So the survive and thrive thing is very interesting. I think you can feed a dog 50% carbohydrates because most of the world is, and you can do it, but we also have terrible obesity problems, pancreatitis, getting 10 times the cancer we are, and they can't light their own flags. You know, it's just crazy. Um, That's it in in a nutshell, isn't it? Okay, I've got a question for you. Why do dogs, and this is almost universal in the UK and Europe and probably in the States as well, why do dogs eat so much herbivore poo? I'm talking rabbit poo, horse poo, even mine will. Uh, sheep poo. How come they go for that? What so, so that for me, that would, well, look, Brett, yeah, we all think own? about probiotics. We think it's a probiotic thing, but actually... No, if they've gone through the gut, what I was saying earlier, you know, those herbivores are surviving on great nutrients, so vitamins that those bacteria are spitting out. There's going to be all of those volatile fatty acids. There's going to be essential fatty acids. There's going to be, you know, some other nutrients within that poo. You know, eventually they can't suck out every last bit of goodness from that feces before it pops out the back end. So those dogs, just as I would have thought with the berries, you know, they're massively high in certain anthocyanins. You know, they're the real sort of, they're, they're medicines, truly are medicines within some of those berries. You know, we're not talking farmed fat blueberries here. We're talking, you know, when they're foraging, it's bilberries on the moorland or it's, you know, it's, um, you know, blackberries that are off a bush, not from a farm. You know, take them into the raspberry farm and I'm sure they would take, go down those rows. But, you know, realistically, we're talking about foraging from hedgerows here. 
even if they're eating some of the herbage that's on that side, I would say it's more medicinal than truly a function of being able to get nutrients out of that. Whereas when we're talking about that poo and poo eating, I would actually say, sure, I guess there's a little bit of bacterial sharing and probiotics, but actually it's the end product that those bacteria are producing that's probably going to be really attractive to dogs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those, and you know, that, the problem with the, with the diet studies is that that's where we get our diet studies from. We get them from these areas of the world where there's free-roaming dogs and they do colds. That's essentially it. They, we just don't have free-roaming dogs in, uh, you know, Ireland or England that we kind of track. We just don't have that in the Wicklow Mountains. We'd rescue them and we'd put them in a pound, sadly, and they were probably happy enough walking around Wicklow Mountains. Don't put me in here. But um, so, but when we do look at these uh, diet studies, the diet studies are confusing people because we know that dogs and cats can be taught in the first five months of life what to eat. And so you have these videos of these vegan cats trying to chew on a piece of broccoli. And we know that's pretty much bordering obscene. It's a ridiculous thing, but they do it. And, and the person can say, see, my cat loves broccoli. And it's not that they love it. They've taught them to eat it. And, and we've had studies from back in the 60s and 70s from China and Japan and China. You can actually train a dog to eat all vegetarian stuff, all meat and bone stuff, all soy stuff. So um, I think it's kind of, you can train the dogs to do it, and that's the confusion. So if you're growing up in India and you get a lot of plant leftovers because there's not a lot of spare meat, well then 50% of your diet is plant matter, porridge and salsa and stuff. The dog clearly didn't cook itself. Uh, and then it goes out and tries to top up its failing protein reserves, is what they say. But truly feral dogs are highly carnivorous. We've only got two or three of those studies, one in the US. Highly carnivorous animals. Uh, they don't like humans, they don't go near them, and as a result, their diet is very large so uh, that's the confusion with the diet studies that people need to remember humans get in the way you can't have humans feeding dogs because then it's not a diet study if we look at uh, fred provenza his his book is nourishment uh, which is a really opus uh, tome and if you want to we've said this before but i'll say it again if you want to get a, a, a slightly shortened version that was it's something like two hundred seventy thousand words which is pretty pretty big um if you go to the audio book, it's about 140,000 words. So it's still really meaty, as it were, but it's much more condensed. And he reads it himself and he's just, he's like the, the elf from Christmas or something. He's just, he's very, very clever, very, very wise, very, very zen. And he, his major thesis is that there is innate wisdom within the foraging community. And with and with and therefore by extension to animals, if you give, uh, he does a lot of work on goats and sheep, mainly goats, and he he will say that the what the what any given goat selects in the morning will be different from what they select in the afternoon, and that it will reflect what they require at you know in the morning in the afternoon, and the other really wonderful observation of his is that they will they will learn goats will learn for example that if they want if they need to eat toxic plant b because they require something from it copper or magnesium or something like that they have learned that if they eat a protective plant a before they eat toxic plant b 
it will then protect them from any negative, negative, nauseating, irritating effect from, from that plant. So I think that the animals have mechanisms if they're given enough variety, as you're saying, Connor, if you, you, you've got to get the people out of the way. Yeah, you've got to give them free range and they will have a nibble on this, have a nibble on a blackberry, eat uh, rabbits, goats, rats and what, what have you, just fill their bellies. But there will be other elements, other outliers where they require perhaps some, some antioxidants in the autumn before they go into winter. And so they go and graze some berries before they go in. I think this is a wonderful. It, it's kind of obvious, but he has done these studies. You know, he's been working in, this, in the field for about 40 years. And he has done, you know, minute studies looking at exactly what they eat at any given time, for example. Yeah, they'll actually, you know, give, be able to take what they eat and then analyze it in the morning, in the afternoon. It's, so I think he's a, he's a great guy to to look into if if you like this stuff, and I think it is very very important. It is a great fundamental. fundamental tome, as you say. I mean, there's so many of the other books. You know, we've uh, defending beef refers back to him as well, and you've got you know, um, so uh, you are what you ate refers back to him um, in several points. You know, it just and so it goes on. I think there's you know there's so many people that view those texts and yeah, keeping goats. I absolutely. You know, I don't spray the land. I literally have, you know, been on an organic project now for the last four years on this piece of land of just basically pulling ragwort, you know, just to try and, you know, putting in other um, things to the sward. There is a bit of bracken. The goats are so interesting, as you say. You cannot keep them. They're so great at, um, you know, getting out of a field to what they want. So there is some bracken in some areas. So they will go and browse on the bracken, which is supposedly a really good way of worming yourself out if you need to, okay, um, and controlling parasites. But you're absolutely right. They'll be hedgerow eating, you know, one moment. They'll all of a sudden, just as a little herd, find their way down to uh, eat some oak or something like that, and then they'll toddle across and they'll be eating... Um, the heads off the ragwort, even you know, if there's any little ones left behind, and you're like pulling your hair out, thinking you know, of all the plants, why are you going for that? But as you say, they've been eating so much else within the sward. You know, it's taken four years to stop it just being cattle grass, as I call it. You know, that green field of nothing else because they've sprayed it to an inch of its life, um, and then reseeded it and reseeded it with just grass. Um, but no, it's a really nice mixed sward now. And just seeing them go through, you can sit there on the hillside, just watching them go That's around good. and selectively browse for what they want. I like that. So here's, here's, here's another little question, guys, just philosophical. So if in the UK, we'll make this, or maybe in the States, say, if all the humans just disappeared off the face of the earth, what would dogs eat? Okay, they're all let off. Yeah, the front every front door is open, and they can go out and you know. So, what would they eat? I'm going to tell you now. If there was a a, a a warehouse full of raw canon food, they would go for that. However, they would 
long term and there is a long term supply. I don't think that that would be a major part of what they chose if they had free access to you know lots of bunnies and lots of deer and lots of goats and, and, and what have you. Where where would you go with that? Experiment. I mean, if the if the Royal Cannon Factory was beside the sausage factory, I don't think many dogs would walk in the door of the Royal Cannon Factory. I'm pretty sure. Like they have they have loads of uh, of studies done of dogs with taste preference uh, trials. Lots of them done by Mars. They have their answer. And the first taste preference is okay. You can have a tiny bit of meat or a massive pile of dry food, and they work harder for the tiny bit of meat. They'll do the maze. Awesome. They'll do the commands for the piece of meat. They'll eat gravy flavored tissue over other plant items like anything meat flavored drives these dogs drives these animals mad they work for meat we all know it's meat 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 so they definitely go for meat and then the second thing is they divide into protein fat and carbs and they let these dogs off the lead to feed ad lib in other words you can just choose whatever you want buddy and if you put down meat with plant items they always go for the meat first kibble never first i mean you can try find me a study where they ate the kibble first even dry fed dogs will take the meat first even the vegetarian fed dogs took the meat first on the tv that time that poor girl yes oh my I god i felt so sorry for <laughs> but um that was a wake-up call but um yeah and the, but they also the protein fat and carb thing is that they will pig out even when the dogs are fed high carbohydrate diets they go straight for the fat first of all because fat is a high quality commodity it's a it's high impact a lot of energy and so in the wild, that's what you want, because you're always short on it, so you want to top up on the fat. And then over time, when they realize there's more and more fat going, they think, I better slow down here, I'm going to have a heart attack. And they move more and more towards protein, but never do the dogs get above 7% carbohydrates in their diet. That study was done by Mars, and they said, this is the animal telling you, I prefer meat, and I don't eat carbs. When I'm giving, even when these dogs are reared on dry food. So I think if you let dogs off the lead out in the wild, they would go looking for the easiest sources of meat and whatnot the problem that we have is that they haven't been trained to hunt so dogs like dudley haven't a hope i mean he'd be the cheeseburger <laughs> around the field so like you know they, they don't have they have to you have to have um exposure to prey we've got dogs getting into fields here and terrorizing lambs because they don't know how to hunt in a coordinated way they're barking and yipping and scaring the lambs they're not hunting in a smart kind of clever way so they just tire them out. So it's just hours and hours until they're exhausted and then they start to eat them. It's a terrible, terrible end. So they don't have the wits to bring down bigger animals. So I yeah, think that's, tricky for that's another you know, philosophical issue, isn't it? As the, yeah, we've corrupted the, the, the species so much by our presence that, you know, we're preventing them often displaying natural behaviour. Yeah. One of the five freedoms that we were taught at university and, and actually has extended, I think, to six or seven now. But, you know, from a point of the five freedoms was the ability to display natural behavior. You know, if we're going to you know, have an animal in captivity, that was one of the essential freedoms that we should be giving them. Now, often we looked at farm animals being given those luxuries, but there should be no reason why that shouldn't extend to our pets. And I, I have always held that actually forcing them to eat uh, kibble food is far from letting them display natural behavior. You know, yeah. it's um, yeah. so. Yeah, that's so I think, you know, there's certainly things that we should be doing to allow them. You know, and actually, I think through training a little bit of whole prey into that diet, we've talked about the fiber benefits of doing that, you know, giving the, the skin and and also the sinews alongside the meat uh, has a big part to play. But it actually does, I mean, for um, Artie, 
she now will hunt rats. She's followed our cat as to how to hunt mice and rats. Uh, she now actively does it out on the farmland. Uh, you know, we've kept the grass pretty long so that the barn owls have got lots more mice and, you know, critters to eat on. And so we've got great barn owls swooping over us all the time, which is brilliant. But, you know, she literally, you see Artie going, diving into the clumps of grass and pulling out, you know, things to eat of her own volition now. You know, that's allowing her natural behavior. Yeah. And I think that's born yeah. from her to some degree being, you know, understanding this is food. She'll bring back rabbits and things like that yeah. as well. But, you know, ultimately she'll get a good mix. So I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting going back to nature. I think if they've got time and a bit of training, then yes, they would be able to do it. Even Dudley, bless him. Okay. <laughs> mm, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe he just, walk. maybe he'd be that you part know? of the pack that's just sort of like shouting, you know, if there's people coming up. And then when they've finished, yeah. he'll just come oh, in he's and he's pushy. If there's, yeah, he, he's no walkover. If there's food around, he'll make a big scene about stealing it and then showing everybody he's got it. So that he, he'll do things like that, but he's just not able to do anything really. You know, he's, he's still managing the stairs. Um, do you know what I saw talking about Barnells? I love Barnells. Some guys set up a load of microphones in, inside a room and they flew a pigeon from A to B and you listen to his wings, foom, 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 big, noisy, dumb pigeon. No offence to pigeons, I'm sure they're very smart. Uh, they are actually very smart. I've seen them in many trials. Uh, and then they flew some sort of falcon, say, and, you know, I'm pretty clear. And so you can hear all the wings and then the barn owl flies and you can't hear a thing. He's flapping his wings and the mics don't pick it up. And the two guys are on there going, I cannot believe I can't hear anything. These are sensitive mics. You just get one tiny little spike at one stage. So he's just flapped his way across. Nobody hears anything when he flaps his wings. Isn't that amazing? What oh, amazing but in animal. twilight, there's nothing like sitting out with the goats around you, dogs just sitting there, looking over the valley and just Love seeing that. the barn owls doing their thing across the field. <sighs> lovely, lovely. Love that. Um, are these fields, is this the field straight across from your house? Is it they're the fields? Yeah, how many fields? What sort uh, of space have you got? Five acres. Six with the field opposite us, yeah. Cool. So you can just get a chair yeah. and just sit in your field. You yeah, I feel really sad now. Like, that's fine. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, that's, that's what everybody wants, though, Brent. You know, that's what everybody wants. Guys, I'm going to drag you over to Patreon because I've got a philosophical... I'm talking about uh, expressing behaviour, okay? I'm going I'm to go a little bit deeper into that question Very before good. I disappear. Um, don't forget, guys, we're on Patreon and I'm going to give everyone on Patreon a free code for my course on carnivore or omnivore and the entire first section of my book comes with that course. It's all for free for people on Patreon as little. Thank you. So do uh, pop over there and catch us. Uh, it's been great to see all of you guys, you know, talking and interacting tonight. Uh, please continue that on. Great stuff. Cool. See you over right, on, Patreon. You see you on Patreon. Take care. All right. Amazing. Fabulous. Blah, 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 blah,